Hi, I'm Charlotte and I'm joined by my friend Lauren. Hello. And this is Demythifying, the podcast where two best friends talk mythology, go off on tangents and hope to bring a little bit more forgotten magic into the world. It feels weird doing it, yeah. <laughs> I get it this week. Yay. Hello, hello, hello. Let's, um, are we pretending that we, we, basically we've recorded this straight after episode five. So we haven't seen each other since episode five because we only recorded that 30 minutes ago. Because I have a little trip coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. I've got a diving trip up north to hopefully see some seals. So just with stuff, with life going on, it's good for us to take the opportunity to do two episodes at once. In this episode, we're going a bit more in depth with two Greek gods that were briefly mentioned in episode one. Would you like to take it away with the first one? Hey, I get to start. Yay. Hephaestus, or Vulcan in the Roman, was the god of fire, a blacksmith and a craftsman. He was the son of Zeus and his wife Hera. Which makes a change from some of our other Zeus stories. (laughs) Although Hera wins no motherly points, as she was said to have tossed him out of heaven once she saw he was deformed. Later in life, he becomes popular with both mortals and immortals. Other sources claim that Hera birthed him alone in retaliation for Zeus birthing children with other women. The paintings I found of Hephaestus, when I do a quick research, often shows him with tools in his hands, such as the one by Pompeo Batoni from the 18th century. I'm loving all these beautiful paintings I come up with when I search for information on the gods, and it's quite nice. A lot of, clearly a lot of Renaissance artists were inspired by Greek and Roman mythology. How do you find these? Because if I do any like extra research on the internet, for episodes I can't find these have have you used the internet yes but I haven't found any cool paintings like you have um most of the time I type in the god's name the name of the god and it comes up if it doesn't come up I will type the word painting after it I literally put Hermes Greek mythology paintings and nothing like this came up I will look for a painting and after this, after we record this episode, I'll have a look for the painting. And if I find one, we'll put it on the Insta. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you can put this Hephaestus one on the Insta. And I think it's quite, it's oh, quite a nice painting. It looks quite, like there's a lot of depth to it. It almost looks 3D. He looks like a man that you'd want to be friends with. Like if you had something go wrong at home when you did the shelf put up or like a problem with the plumbing. Like a handyman. You him and he'd be over. Yeah, everyone needs a friend like that. Are you thinking of a handyman or are you thinking of a porno, Lauren? <laughs> well, <laughs> depends. Anyway, Hera cast Hephaestus out of heaven due to his deformity. This deformity was a lame foot. He was tossed out of Mount Olympus and he fell into the sea where he was rescued by sea nymphs. He was rescued by Eurynome, who hid him from Hera in a cave and raised him for nine years. It is during this time that he learned his craft. Some of the items he crafted. Palaces and thrones for the other gods living on Mount Olympus. Pandora, the first woman. Chariot of Helios that was pulled across the sky each day. Chains of Prometheus. Zeus's thunderbolts. Although I also thought the Cyclopes made these. 
So he chose them to work with him and he had a really good relationship with the Cyclopes. I guess the Cyclopes are kind of ugly and he's got this deformed foot and I don't know, they just found kindred spirits with each other and they liked crafting stuff. Okay. Hephaestus also made arrows of Apollo and Artemis, the Aegeus shield of Zeus, armour for Heracles and Achilles. And this leads us back to Hephaestus seeking revenge on the mother who spurned him. He crafted a great magnificent throne and had it sent to Mount Olympus as a gift for Hera. Soon as Hera sat upon the throne, chains engulfed her, trapping her to the chair. She was unable to get up or move. I guess that's a big risk that no one else decided they liked the chair and sat in it, unless it was specifically once Hera sat in the chair. The version of the story that I know is that it was for her and I remember this. So I mentioned um, when I get into my story about listening to it on audiobooks on cassette tape. <laughs> um, and this was another story on the same cassette tape. The one, that you're, the one you're <laughs> telling right now, I know. Although cassette tapes have made a comeback. I looked at a, a band the other day that were releasing on cassette tape. So oh, no, apparently like it's seven. cool again. Oh, okay, well, I, I was like seven and I was cool being into Greek myths and cassette tapes then. So Hera's trapped in the chair. Hephaestus was requested to come to Mount Olympus to undo this trickery, and he downright refused to leave where he was. He refused. He didn't want to do it. The gods all tried to get him to Olympus, but it was great old Dionysus that got him drunk and eventually carried him to Olympus on the back of a mule to free his mother. Zeus bribed him to release his mother by offering him up Aphrodite as his bride, because who doesn't love being offered up as a bride? I've heard some different stories. So on the cassette tape version, it was that Hephaestus actually asked for her personally, but I also read that she was supposed to marry Ares and then this thing with the throne happens. Before they knew that it was Hephaestus that sent it, Zeus basically said, whoever can free Hera from this chair gets to marry Aphrodite. Yeah, whoever can free Hera gets Aphrodite and it happened to be Hephaestus, but of course it would be because he made it. This is not the only time peace-loving Hephaestus used his talent to trap another god. The last story I want to share with you about Hephaestus is that of his wife Aphrodite and her lover Ares. Aphrodite and Ares had a great love affair despite her being married to others. Personally, I love that this is one goddess that had affairs in her stories, as it's about time the women had the same fun as men. I'm not saying that cheating is right, I don't necessarily condone it, but I think it's more equal, and it's not yet another story of a chaste goddess saving herself and the men going around and doing whatever they want. Hephaestus was eventually warned of his wife's infidelities with Ares by Helios, the sun god who sees all. In revenge, Hephaestus waited until the lovers lay together again and had an unbreakable net spring up from the bed they were on, trapping them until Hephaestus dragged them back to Olympus, where the other gods laughed at them for getting caught. It is said that either Ares paid a fine or Poseidon convinced Hephaestus to release them. Aphrodite had fallen pregnant by Ares with Harmonia and Aphrodite and Hephaestus divorced. He would have one more revenge on his cheating wife by giving her a necklace that he made, the Necklace of Harmonia, which would bring tragedy to all whom possessed the necklace. Hephaestus would go on to have children with another woman, so we don't feel too bad for him. Four daughters, to be exact, plus he enjoyed many nights with mortals. 
he would go on to have a part to play in the Trojan War. As well as creating the first woman, as we mentioned, Pandora. He may have been rejected by his mother and his first wife, but he doesn't seem to do too badly out at the end of it. In other stories by both Homer and Hesiod, he also ends up marrying one of the three graces. And usually it's after his divorce from Aphrodite rather than just marrying her and not having married Aphrodite. He also attempted to seduce slash rape Athena. I can't remember what it was I said earlier. Uh, apparently he'd had a thing for Athena ever since she was born and this is less creepy than it sounds because according to most stories she emerged fully grown still creepy because he was her brother yes well that doesn't stop most gods let's be honest and possibly not actually if he was just birthed from terror alone like some stories say he's not true, actually true. her brother but still not great but in his excitement to rape slash Aggressively, aggressively seduced. Aggressively seduced seduce her. He got a little bit overexcited and he released on her thigh. So she uses some fabric to wipe this up and she throws it on the ground in disgust. And somehow, because Greek mythology is ridiculous, the semen ended up in the earth and it made Gaia pregnant. Because that's how that works. Uh, apparently it is. Whatever you've heard about how children are made Charlotte is wrong. Okay, this this is how children. This is how children are made, apparently. Now, this child ended up being a founder of Athens. And we spoke recently about doing an Athens-focused episode, didn't we? So we're going to explore the story properly then. I mean, we mentioned about going to Athens and pretending to be researching. Yes, but we also <laughs> did talk about doing an, we did, we did. an episode focused on Athens. So I want to bring, I want to talk about it properly then, but I wanted to just bring it up yeah. very briefly now. So let's talk Hermes. Now, I remember this story from being a kid listening to Greek myths on cassette tape, as I just said, to help me sleep. For me, this is 100% the quintessential Hermes story. So it's time to lock up your cows as we talk about the birth of Hermes. Quick, complete side note. I used to do that too. When I couldn't sleep, I'd listen to cassette tapes, but it was Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I had a couple of Harry Potters. Oh, I still listen to audiobooks on Audible now. We've moved on from cassette tapes. I also remember having a Demon Head Master one, and there was a particular bit when I was a kid that used to freak me out, where um, he'd possessed people and made them think that people... He'd possessed, like, the students and made other students... Made them think other students were, like, straw dolls and they were going to pull them apart. That freaked the hell out of me. That's quite <laughs> creepy for it a children's so... story. <laughs> I know it's what? basically to manipulate the main the main character to, um, into doing what he wants. Have you never read the Demon Hermos books? I watched it when it was on television. I love that too, but yeah, I love the books. So anyway, uh, yeah, moving, <laughs> moving I on. From I didn't really read. Stories. I didn't really read that many children's books when I was younger. I used to read more adult books. It's only actually as I've gotten older that I read more young adult books now. Well, continuing the tangent, when I was in primary school, which was a very strict Christian primary school, mm. they used to vet what we read when we went to the library imagine, with them. Yeah. So when I went with my mom, I could read what I wanted. But when mm. I went with when school took me, I needed more books. They would vet what I read, so I had to yeah. I had to be very careful. Yeah, like Goosebumps and Point Horror were like big no nos. Um, I read a few of those, but yeah, I didn't read too many young adult. I read more adult books when I was younger that, that makes it sound like it was way above my obviously obviously they were still I don't know 
I was reading John Grisham when I was 10. So I was no. reading Patricia Cornwall when I was 11, yeah. I tried and... to read War and Peace when I was 11 or 12, and I only stopped because I got bored. <laughs> this is such a tangent. Back to Hermes. <laughs> so Hermes has strong chthonic associ- associations. I love how uh, chthonic's the word you can pronounce and associations is the word you mess up. Well, I don't know if I pronounce Catholic correctly. That um, Catholic means subterranean. It's used to describe deities or spirits of the underworld. So Hermes started as being worshipped as the god of the road between the upper world and the underworld. And this function later evolved to him being the god of roads, sailors, travellers, boundaries and commerce. The famous Lovecraftian creation of Cthulhu is a reflection of this. And in ancient Greek, Herma means pile of stones or boundary marker i can imagine hermes as being really fun loving because he was a trickster who would outwit the other gods either for the benefit of mankind or for personal amusement so as well as being a trickster and a skilled thief he was a benefactor of mortals both hesiod and homer agree with him being very deceptive hesiod describes him as just and fair but unpredictable in decision making but it still seems like he's more level-headed than most, if not all, of the Olympians. So as well as being a god of travel and commerce, he is also the patron and protector of travellers, herdsmen, thieves, orators, and wit, literature and poets, athletics and sport, invention and trade. He was super busy. But primarily he was the messenger and herald of the gods, wearing both a winged hat and winged sandals. Hermes had many a love affair with mortals, And he had some very famous children, including the half-man, half-goat, Pan. His symbol is a tortoise. And when I get into the story of his birth in a little bit, you'll see why. His Roman equivalent is Mercury. And the planet of the same name obviously is named after him. It has no moons. The chemical element Mercury also takes his name from him. And its chemical symbol, HG, comes from a Romanized version of an ancient Greek compound word, which means water silver. If you were wondering where that came from, thinking back to like GCSE science, he could potentially be a pre-Hellenic god and have been adapted to fit in with Greek mythology. Herodotus, I don't know if we've mentioned him yet. I don't think we have. He was a Greek historiographer, historian. He traveled around and, and wrote stuff about his travels and he wrote something called The Histories. I'm pretty sure it's called The Histories. I read that in classics, I should know. But Herodotus likened him to the Egyptian god Thoth who had the head of an ibis. And there was an ancient Egyptian city that the Greeks called Hermopolis because Thoth was, Thoth was worshipped there, although obviously the Egyptians had their own name for it. There's also a god called Hermanubis, and he was a combination of, unsurprisingly, Hermes and Anubis. He was popular during the Roman occupation of Egypt, and he was a god of Egyptian priesthood and was involved in directing dead souls, kind of like both Hermes and Anubis do in their own mythology. I'm obviously trying not to get too deep into the rabbit hole of Egyptian mythology, as hopefully we'll be able to get there one day. But I thought this was interesting. And actually, that wasn't really an uncommon thing for the Romans to do. Um, It definitely happened when they invaded Britain. They created shrines and such like to hybrid gods and goddesses. So they would find a god that was similar in the place that they invaded to one of their own gods and kind of mushed them together and made a shrine dedicated to both. Hermes is also a fertility god. And the Hermes that I mentioned before, I saw quite a few of them in Athens and they were basically a male head on uh, like column uh, and genitals. So yeah, fertility. 
I've also read that he appears in more myths than any other god. And even in the small amount of stories that I've covered so far, he's popped up multiple times. So as I mentioned two episodes ago, Hermes is the child of Zeus and Maia. She's the daughter of Atlas, one of the Pleiades. I could pronounce this earlier. What's wrong with me now? Pleiades. There we go. She spent time with Zeus on the slopes of Mount Cellini, modern day Killini. Killini. As was made clear by the birth of Artemis and Apollo, godly babies aren't like normal babies. So still as a baby, Hermes left his mum behind in a cave and went for a little adventure, possibly even at less than a day old. While on his journey... works. (laughs) They're just just different. They're just built differently, aren't they? (laughs) So, I mean, human babies are kind of crap. No, but they are. They're useless. Like, they need... We need to be looked after for so long and then godly babies pop out and they're like helping give birth, helping the mom give birth to the sibling like not that long later. It's, it's impressive. Not real, but it's impressive. While on his journey, baby Hermes began singing and captivating birds along the way. And even today, they're trying to capture the beauty of Hermes' voice. Eventually, he found himself in a field of beautiful cows and Hermes wanted them. So the story goes that he made two shapes out of laurel leaves and attached them to the cow hooves and put leaves over his own feet to disguise the shape. He then used the branch to drive the cows out of the field and back the way he'd come. He also found a tortoise on the way home and took the tortoise with him. The child's version, I remember, described him as emptying out the tortoise. I don't really want to think exactly what that means to the tortoise. He used material... I've read different things in different stories to kind of make strings and basically turn the shell and the strings into a lyre. He's back at the cave with a herd of cattle and a musical instrument and probably a mum who's a bit dumbstruck at the sight. A one version of the story I've read said that he killed and cooked one of the cows. Now, whether it occurred to Hermes or not, the cows belonged to someone, though none other than his brother Apollo. So remember that Hermes put hoof shapes on the hoofs of the cow that he was stealing. Now, why on earth would you do that? Charlotte, do you have any ideas? Um, to cover up their footprints and where they're going. So you think that he might have put the cow hooves, the fake cow hoof shapes, pointing in a different direction to their actual feet? Yeah. That's very clever. And that's exactly what Hermes did. So Apollo's come back to his field and he's really confused. So the only thing he can find, besides the cow hooves coming towards the field, is one little baby footprint. Why is there a baby footprint there? Because it was a rookie mistake. Apollo happens to spy a bird on a branch by the field. And he kills the bird, which is sad. And he pulls out its intestines for some kind of prophecy making. God of prophecy, remember? Could he not have just asked the bird? Did he really have to kill it? I'm assuming that the bird didn't speak. Maybe he's really He's a god. He's a god. He can converse with anyone in the whole entire world. I'm pretty sure somebody up on Mount Olympus would have been able to converse with the bird. Maybe the bird didn't look very trustworthy. I don't know. Apollo is nuts, remember? True, 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 true. So yeah, he pulls out its intestines for some kind of prophecy making because he is the god of prophecy, remember? (laughs) So Apollo is totally level-headed. He's not at all short-tempered and psychotic. But now he's got a good idea of where to go looking for his missing cows. So Apollo arrives at the cave where baby Hermes lives with Maya and he confronts him. Hermes feels kind of bad that he's stolen the cows. So he returns the cows to Apollo and he plays the tortoise lie in front of him. And now that he's got his cows back, Apollo actually seems quite taken with his new brother. He's very interested in the liar. So Hermes, as a gesture for the theft, offers <laughs> the liar to Apollo. Now, 
Hermes' star is called Cajicaeus, and it symbolized magic and alchemy. It was, there were two sort of snakes wrapped around it, and I'll put a picture of the staff on the Insta so you can see. Uh, but I only found, so I only found this out recently, but that gift, the staff was a gift from Apollo because Apollo was so delighted with the lyre that Hermes gave him. And the staff was to guide the flocks. Remember earlier I said that he was a protector and patron of herdsmen. So after this, Hermes became messenger of the gods and the winged sandals that he wears were a gift from Zeus. You'll meet Hermes a lot more in future stories, both with heroes and in some cases stories about famous children that he had. Hey Charlotte, so this time I have a question for you. You find out your spouse is cheating on you. How do you seek revenge? I wouldn't. I would, hear me out. I wouldn't really say anything. I would carry on as normal. And then one day, I'd make, you'd have to make sure that they were out all day, maybe at work or something. I would pack up and I would leave and I wouldn't say anything and I'd never speak to them again. How would you? Well, I flat out dump them because I think losing me is punishment enough. However, in a world where I have the ability to do this, I would curse them to have an overwhelming obsession to eat something like raw garlic or something that stinks. <laughs> so no one would and- find them attractive. Well, basically, so that even if they brush their teeth endlessly or you smell, it's the garlic or whatever horrible thing it would be. I don't know. I can think of garlic because it's strong, but I might be able to, if I was actually going to do this, I might be able to find something more suitable. I think if I was bothered to do it enough, I think, see, I think leaving without saying anything is actually scarier than reacting because you haven't reacted. They don't know. They're always a bit like, oh, she's going to react. But if I had to react, I think I'd just always make them late for a bus. I just think this is good. Like this is, I'm talking like not even a nice amount of garlic where you'd smell like food cooking. You think, oh, that smells nice. I mean, so much garlic that no one would ever want to kiss them again. So not or only just they lost speak me. speak to them again. Yeah. So not only have they lost me, which, you know, is like I said, is punishment enough. They'd <laughs> possibly have no friends, possibly get fired and find it hard Why to would find they get a woman fired? again. I guess you've got a client facing role. I don't have a client facing role. We just we would just put them in a corner and and they'd have to get on with their job away from everybody no somewhere where I used to work somewhere where I used to work this is this is this is a bad story basically someone that I used to work with got told if you don't wash and stop smelling like BO we're gonna fire you and then we never so bad well I mean obviously it took a while to get to this point but yeah basically that's what happened so yeah you know (laughs) And there are a lot of roles where you have to deal with people. And mm. like if <laughs> I was working with someone and they just think of something like garlic all the time, I would complain. I guess. There's a difference between complaining and just bullying. There's no excuse to smell like that. I'm sorry. Well, they obviously do you, right. So question. Would they be able to smell that they smell like garlic or would they be oblivious? Oh, I don't know. What's worse? I think it'd be worse if they were, um, I was going to say, if they were oblivious, because then they would lean in for a kiss and no one would, everyone would back away. Okay, maybe they're oblivious. That might be better. But then they'd be confused. But then I don't know if I knew I smell and I could do nothing to get rid of it. I think it would drive me insane. Mm. This this is as far as I got with with the um, the idea. It's interesting. It's interesting. Mine's a bit of a cop out. I would just leave and never say anything and see, see you later, sucker. I don't know. I, I like to think that I'd be petty because I wouldn't want to do something. Are you Hiram Lodge? That's the second time in, in all these episodes I've mentioned Hiram Lodge. 
I don't and know. And it's always in reference to being petty because I believe that person is petty. I think this could be like almost Hiram Lodge level of petty in a different way. <laughs> but do, do you not think that that's a good punishment for someone? I think Just it's like... good. And I think it would in, it would drive me insane if I knew that I had this thing about me and I could never do anything to change it. I think it would drive yeah, me insane. And you knew that people wouldn't want to be your friend and people wouldn't want to hire you and people wouldn't want to kiss you and people might turn you away from like restaurants you go out to a fancy club or something and they'll be like Mm-mm-mm. sorry we have you the right to use anyone mouth, do you? you don't have to open your mouth when you're in a queue i don't know if you've ever been around people that they smell so bad of something that they don't even have to talk it just like it just comes off them. It just i think yeah basically just oozes out of them they would emanate raw garlic i say garlic till the point where i find something more disgusting it's uh it's it's my life's mission to find something that would be worse than garlic thanks for hanging out with us today Follow us on Instagram at demythifying the podcast, D E M Y T H I F Y I N G T H E P O D C A S T for more Olympus based content. And if you're liking what we're doing, please rate us and subscribe. Please. please. See you again next time. Please. See you again next time where we talk about the two godly siblings of war and how different they actually are. Check us out on Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, and anywhere else you get your podcasts from. She's been Charlotte. I've been Lauren. And together we've been demythifying.